just reflect that these are words and so words when you the thinking process and words you can only have one word or one thought in the moment so samatha vipassana you have samatha that's how it's generally re- regarded in the scripture isn't it? it goes samatha vipassana And then if you don't know what they mean, you know, then they're just kind of foreign words. And then you find out whether samatha means concentration, vipassana means insight, or investigating, reflection. And you, you define them with English uh, equivalents. And then in the Buddhist world, the Theravada Buddhist world, and you find all, all kinds of views and opinions about samatha vipassana. You know, I mean, I've seen, you know, people say, samatha is a, it's, it's like a, something useless and you should not do. It'll just, you'll just get hung up on samatha. And then others will say, you've got to do samatha before you can do vipassana. And these are words also, these are opinions you form, you know, just to, to point to the way it is, the power of words and the grasping of those words, and of an opinion. You know, because actually, by, uh, opinion, both things, you know, there's truth in all of that. You don't need samatha. <laughs> you can go straight to vipassana, or... Uh, uh, or you've got to do samatha before you do vipassana. So, the main thing is the awakening to the way things are before the words come. And so, this is... Uh, if we don't recognize this, then we, then we, we are just going to get entangled by all the complications of language and thought, opinions and views. Because every teacher, you know, is teaching from what he or she has experienced, and the language gets in the way oftentimes. And we 
we do the best we can uh, trying to express an ineffable reality, ineffable reality through the uh, limited means of language. So just recognizing language, thought, is, uh, you know, you can't, you can't say samatha vipassana in the same moment. One follows the other, so that, that thought is always a linear process, it's dualistic. Uh, but, and, but you can be aware of it, this awareness of thought. If, since you're not thought, thought is not self, then thought is a, a strictly a mental function and conditioned, conditioned uh, habit we acquire after we're born. We're not born thinking. So that then the thinking process is influenced by culture and experiences, ethnic background, the, the gender and the race and the social position, all these are the thoughts and education, religion, we form views and opinions. So this, this uh, attachment to thought is uh, to thinking, to ideas, to concepts, because these all work together. The memory, to, you have to remember to be able to think. And so thinking and memory and uh, concepts, ideas, uh, all these work together. They, they, they support each other. So samatha vipassana, vipassana samatha. Vipassam mitanana or something like that. <laughs> we could kind of amalgamate the two words. <laughs> But that's not the point, is it? Not to be able to, because the, just know the limitations of thought. Because then you're awakening to the way it is. So when you're trying to figure everything out, even with the most clever mind or, or you know, the best education, it, one ends up, you know, thinking uh, and goes around in circles it just, because that's the way thought operates. If you attach to thinking then you just go around and around and around with it. <coughs> you know, one thought connects to another, goes on to another. So then samatha then is a, isn't a thinking process. It's not, if you, you know, if all you do is think you'll never about samatha and form views about it. Because the reality of it lies in, 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 in concentrating attention, opening.
So you get stopping the mind from wandering or even stopping the thinking process. Well, sometimes, you know, we, we, we think, stopping the thinking process, we've got to have all the conditions right. You know, if there's a conversation, all this chit-chat. It just stirs up the mind. And, and uh, reading newspapers, it stirs up the mind. And, and uh, we've got to get away from it all, go off to the cave. And uh, the sensory deprivation tank, and uh, be alone, so that nothing stirs us up. So, oh, that's true. You know, one can, you know, if you blindfold yourself and plug up your ears and and uh, put yourself in a place where very little out impingement can get to you. you know, like these sensory deprivation tanks are perfect, aren't they? I've never had the occasion to be in one, but I've heard, you know, the temperature of the water is the same as your body and and you know, everything is, there's no, there's no kind of irritating sense impingement. And so, after the restlessness disappears, you know, then the mind just goes empty, bliss. So then, to get enlightened, you have to live in a Is that is that nibbana? You know, is that what the Buddha was pointing to? Sensory deprivation, and he said very clearly, no. You know, so the, uh, it's so he was pointing to this reflection. The Four Noble Truths is about observing, noticing the way things are, not forming opinions and prefer or following preferences or going along by prejudices or cultural attitudes. Isn't it when you're when you're looking into the five khandhas as a Nietzsche dukkanata, you know the the suffering, unsatisfactory, not self, and and uh, impermanent. Then you you you're explore. It's a way of exploring the reality of now. Those are just kind of help expedient means to kind of look into thinking or feeling or physical the physical experience having a, a body or sense 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 experience through the eye ears nose tongue body through the mind sape sankara anicca all conditions are impermanent so that that's the that's not a doctrine that we believe in. You know, some, I hear some people quoting, all conditions are impermanent as if it's a Buddhist doctrine. And uh, if you're a Buddhist, you have to believe that. Uh, no way, it's not a doctrine, it's a reflection. It's a guide toward uh, helping you to notice. It's not, you don't have to go around believing everything is impermanent just because the Buddha says so, you, you observe the impermanent. You, you can watch, you can notice, you can awaken to the changingness of thinking and feeling and sensory experience. And you don't have to convince yourself that everything's impermanent. Because 
then you're not really looking. You're, you're taking an idea that you think is taught by the Buddha and then trying to, to uh, uh, logically deduct from that and, and believe in impermanence. But that's, that's not, you know, you, you believe in impermanence without awakening and really noticing impermanence. You know, you'll be very disappointed because uh, it, you'll never be able, it'll be the most coarse kind of belief system that it, it's never looked into will inevitably disappoint you. Because anything you grasp through thought will inevitably fail you. It's going to be a disappointment. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. So like grasping, isn't it? Grasping the conventions of Buddhism. Now, if, if that's all you're doing here, is grasping Buddhist conventions, it's going to disappoint you. You're going to feel unfulfilled by it and disillusioned with it. And I've seen that happen so many times with people who spent 20 years uh, practicing meditation and really, you know, reading the scriptures and doing all that, and then feeling disappointed because they never got to the, the source of suffering. They merely grasped the conventions of Buddhism. So recognize these are conventions. Monasticism is a convention. Theravada is a convention. Vinaya is a convention. The scriptural teachings are conventions. In other words, they're 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 meant to. If we use convention with awareness, then it then it's uh, the path. If we use convention only to grasp and form views and opinions, then it blinds us. We can blind ourselves with, with even the best of conventions. So in this uh, Learning to recognize, like some people were asking me this, this afternoon about, what is mindfulness? You know, because it's something you can't grasp. You can grasp definitions of it and, uh, you know, views about mindfulness. Uh, or sati, the Pali word sati. You can look at the definition in the Pali dictionary <laughs> and go and ask all the great teachers what mindfulness is. But, but it's not, you know, the definitions aren't it. It's, a, it's, a, it's so natural to us that we don't notice it. So even the word itself gets in the way. Mindfulness or sati and all that can get in the way of it of the reality, of the realization. 
So this is where you have to trust in, in experience, in recognizing it. It's a recognition. You know, because this is, it's the path to the deathless. So say you've got, I've got to try to be more mindful, then you've missed it. You don't try. You try when you, you've got an idea about something, you try to do it according to some idea. Try to be mindful now and, and kind of advice that you hear given. <clears throat> So give up trying, but, but trusting. Yeah. What is it right now? So then I was trying to, to, to explore that with these people after the meal. And of course, the thinking mind, what is it, what is it, what, you know, what is it all about? Am I being mindful now? And I think, well, just, you know, just say, relax. Relax and uh, kind of relax the tension, just being present. Am I being present? <laughs> because of that, the thinking mind takes us over. You know, when you try to find out whether you're mindful or not, trying to look, trying to look at your own face. Yeah, when I cross my eyes, I can see the tip of my nose. About the best I can do. <laughs> so this is where the sata, or sata is uh, probably where they translate in English as faith. And so meditation really, proper meditation is really an act of faith. Mindfulness is learning to trust in the experience and to recognize it. So this you have to do for yourself. I can't do it for you. No one else can ever possibly show you or make you mindful. They recognize the, the onus is on you now for you to recognize it. And it's and therefore to or realize It's a, it's a reality, a real, when you realize something, it's, you're awakening to reality. There's not something you create, it doesn't depend on sensory deprivation or, or meditation techniques or, or anything at all, or conducive atmospheres, special environments. Uh, and if if we were never mindful, we'd be dead by now. You know, it's we we we're mindful a lot more than you ever. You know, when you start thinking about yourself, what do you tend to do? I'm not very mindful. I <laughs> we go into thinking about ourselves through opinions and views or perceptions we have about you know how mindful we are or not mindful enough and how how we should or shouldn't be. 
that's thinking again. You're thinking about yourself and, and, and all the views and opinions you have about yourself or how you see yourself as a person. But then you can be mindful of that. Like my old practice of, uh, you know, I was teaching the winter before last, winter's retreat here. I was getting everybody to say, I am uh, an unenlightened person who needs to practice now in order to become enlightened in the future. Because that's oftentimes the the position we start with, isn't it? You know, I'm you know I'm really confused, a lot of problems, stressed out guy who who needs to really get down and practice in order to hopefully become enlightened in the future if I practice hard enough. It sounds honest. It sounds like you know I'm just being honest about myself. <coughs> And conventionally that, that might be right, you know, it's not that it's wrong. Maybe that, that's the way it is in terms of a conventional personality. Because our personality, my personality never, my personality never feels enlightened. My personality is never mindful. It can't be. So when I start judging myself through my attachment to the views of myself as a person, my ego, and that, then, then it ends up with uh, self-criticism or, or uh, disparagement or despair or re, uh, anxiety and worry and mental states that you create through thinking. So then the sada is a trusting, a simple act of learning to trust yourself more. Not, don't get so intimidated and impressed by the authority figures or all the experts and all the advice and, and all that that you get. But learn to trust yourself to just explore reality as you experience. And investigate or explore it means to, to awaken to it, accept it, notice the way it is. Thinking and feeling, emotions and ha having a physical body. Just, have it, just awaken, awaken to just the experience of sitting, standing, walking, lying down. The four postures. The breathing. Inhalation, exhalation, thinking, but not analyzing or judging thought, but notice thinking is like this. I am unenlightened person who needs to practice in order to become enlightened. So I say something that might seem like an honest appraisal of my character, and then, but then I'm I'm not interested in it anymore as some kind of premise that I'm starting from. I don't believe that anymore. But just taking that, because uh, that's how I started meditation you know, when I, years ago, was from that position. I'm a mess. I need to do something about myself. So I won't be a mess anymore. I want to become an enlightened 
been. I don't want to spend the rest of my life increasing the mess I've made of the first half of it. That seems honest, isn't it? That seems a good direction to go in. <coughs> so it got me going in the right direction, that, uh, that feeling or view of, of my, how I regard myself as a personality. Got me into the monastic order, and then, the, and then the, the the actual Buddhist teaching then comes along, and uh, wake up to that, the the basic delusion of I am anything, thinking. So trying to not think through an eye, holding to an ideal that you shouldn't think is, is another hopeless task, isn't it? I've got to stop thinking and, and then you, you think about not thinking and you're grasping the view that you shouldn't think and then that, that takes you to despair. So then, then with the awakeness Sakti Sampachanya, then we began, you know, this is the ability we have to just notice the way it is, thinking, feeling, emotion, um, physical sense experiences, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Because we don't, even though this happens all the time, we're always, you know, sense the activities going on. We, we we seldom really look at it or notice it. We're lost in it usually, rather trying to stop it or control it. You know, you know, we love to look at things, and we go around, you know, looking at everything or listening or eating things. So in uh, meditation, then we're we're just looking at this, noticing the desire to for sense for sense pleasures. You know, I feel restless and ill at ease, and I just want something to do. I, you know, go eat something. You know, so we've got an obesity problem in the West now because there's so much. People, you know, they they don't have to work so hard anymore. They, they they don't have to spend hours out in the field planting wheat and and milking the cows. We can live on the welfare system here in England and 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 then sit in our flat and worry about everything. And then get depressed and complain about the government and the, the weather. And the, and then one way to eat something, get drunk. Drunkenness helps to ease the pain. Taking drugs, becoming a junkie. <laughs> These are, you know, big social problems now because people don't understand what the problem is in themselves.
So exploring the, the present, and the, since thinking is a time movement in time, you know, A, B, C, Samatha, Vipassana, you know, it's a, it limited, it's a time condition thing. So any thought, you know, thoughts can be used skillfully, or they can, if we attach to thinking, or views, or opinions, or doctrines, then that can blind us. The attachment, not the not the word. So this is where the Buddha was, uh, you know, pointing to the real cause of suffering is attachment. And the second noble truth, and it was stated very clearly, Panchupatana Kanda is the attachment to the five khandas out of ignorance. Very clear statement. So then we form. We shouldn't be attached to the five khandas. And then, then we try to think, and then we notice how attached we are to the five khandhas, and we feel despair. You know, so then we think monasticism is the only way we can do it, because when we become a monk or a nun, then we can, you know, we're, we're giving up the world, we don't, we, and no sex. That's the relinquished sex. Then we can limit our food, you know, so we have only, uh, we don't eat things in the, eat solid food in the afternoon, then we, we, we can't uh, get drunk anymore, we can't drink, give up that, that'll help, and then, uh, and then we have to have right speech, that's difficult even in the Sangha. So it's a, you know, it's a good idea, non-attachment, but what is it, you know? It's, it's, if it's just an idea, then it's, it's, you'll always be disappointed with yourself, because, because you'll never be able to ex- realize non-attachment. You'll just have this idea in your head, and then feel always uh, that you, you can't do it, because you're so attached. You attach to, and you become a monk or a nun, and you attach. You attach to monastic discipline. You attach to the Buddhist teaching. You attach to people in the Sangha. You attach to beautiful ideals. You know, lovely thoughts and marvelous ideals. And even though your attachments are altruistic and refined, it's the attachment that is the cause of suffering. So we need to know what attachment is. And this is something to, you can only know for yourself. You know, the best I do is can point to it, or the, like the Buddhist teaching point to that. So you begin to notice attachment. So from my own practice then, I realized that if I, if I hold to the view, I have so many attachments and hang-ups, which, you know, was a view I had about myself. I got so many attachments and hang-ups about things, and I've got to get rid of them. And then, you know, you, you, I do it in the kind of ascetic way of discipline and denial, fasting, 
and relinquishing, getting rid of, rejecting. And, and I found, you know, sometimes I could really get very attached to that. Because asceticism gives you a kind of power that's very kind of exciting. <laughs> to be a real ascetic, you know, you know, it's not, you know, we might think that that's a miserable way to live, but, but you know, asceticism can be very kind of uh, powerful and exciting. And you, and you really, you can really, uh, you know, you, de you can develop a lot of power through, through that. Where sensory indulgence, if you just become a hedonist and, then, and just eat all the time and have sex all the time and drink all the time, <laughs> uh, you'll never get any power. You just... <laughs> <laughs> So then you see the, 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 the dislike aesthetics have for sen uh, sensual, people who are sensual and enjoy all the sense pleasures. And then the sensual people think that aesthetics are missing out on all the good stuff in life. And you form opinions. So then the being able to think you know, I can deliberately think, I am unenlightened and I need to practice in order to become enlightened. That's a thought. I create that thought. So just learning to, you know, I found intentional thinking helps to get thinking in perspective. So you, I intentionally think this. It wasn't as wandering thoughts or attachment to an idea, but bringing that idea, a, a position that I held about myself that seemed being honest and real about life, into consciousness as just words. And so then you, you, and in order to do that, then you have to pay attention. You're listening to yourself thinking. So what's that? Being able to listen, to recognize thought that's going through your mind. And so it, it takes awareness, doesn't it? Paying attention to yourself thinking. So that awareness isn't a thought, is it? It's not, you don't convince yourself to be mindful. Be mindful. Trust in the awareness, the awakened, the attentiveness of it. And then thinking, you can deliberately think, and whatever you want. But the point is that you're, you're, the, the, the thoughts themselves are not what you're interested in. You're, you're noticing that thought is like this. And the assumption that, that that which is aware is not a thought. So if the self-ego is created through thought, you're nobody when you're not thinking. <coughs> In order to become somebody, you've got to start thinking. And so, uh, and this you, you prove, don't believe me, but test it out. 
So if I don't think I am unenlightened and I need to practice before I'm enlightened, then there's, there's nobody that's enlightened or unenlightened. There's just awareness. Now I said, well, is that, you know, is that all it is? <laughs> Simple as that. Because, you know, you won't find that fulfilling, really. Too simple, too direct. And then uh, emotionally, we're not, you know, emotionally we'll react to that. Because emotionally, we're conditioned emotionally for extremity. You know, so emotionally we like highs. I want to be happy and full of love and joy and, and you know, enthusiasm for life and the good life and life is beautiful and inspired and and the highs you know and then and then the and then so emotionally you know and we we feel really good when we're when we're inspired and happy and everything's going right we feel really life is wonderful and then and so then uh, but then to sustain happiness you know to be continuously, constantly inspired and happy. And then because of that, then we fall into the other direction. Oh, life is, you know, terrible, it's miserable, I'm so disappointed and, and I can't, you know, I can't do this. And we start going the other direction. So emotionally we get depressed or despairing. Uh, suicidal, and then in the middle, where the kind of states of where it's not extreme, uh, we just don't even notice, or we, as soon as that, we try to seek some extremity. So we're always trying to find to be interested in something, or you know, something interesting to do. And you know, some of, many of you who've been on retreats for three months by yourself, what happened? You know, after the initial kind of at last alone in the forest, and those irritating monks and nuns around, and just by myself and with the trees and the deer. God, it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> of our life is distracting ourselves. It's going from this to that. And then when you're alone in a kuti in the forest and there's nothing to do, nobody to talk to, <coughs> you'll, you know, you'll find anything to do. 
I told you stories about my experience in the early days in Thailand. Somebody come with a, you know, I find a, a medicine bottle with a label that was in English. I was so starved for reading, and I'd read it over and over again. You know, it's something I'd never even noticed, particularly if I were in ordinary life. Because I, I had no, nothing to read, no way of distracting, and then, and then when any kind of thing in English was hard to find, and then suddenly there was this wrapper with English words on it, and, and I kept reading it over and over and over. So, you know, this emotionally, to be upeka or equanimous, this is. This takes patience and faith. And willingness to endure those, those kind of experiences, the kind of madness that takes us over when, when we begin to allow things to uh, become conscious, or fears and doubts and, and uh, that, uh, the negative, especially the negative uh, Things that we tend to always resist and push or push away in our desire for happiness and all the best. Ajahn Chah's approach was always that samatha vipassana. You know, they depend on each other. That is uh, he, he didn't teach, you know, you should do this and then that. So one man th this, this afternoon was saying, well, you know, he, has, he can't really concentrate his mind. As soon as he sits down in meditation, his head just goes, you know, just think, 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 and he can't concentrate. And so I asked him, well, what do, you, what do you do? What is your job every day? What do you work at? And he said, IT. I said, well, I mean, you know, if you're dealing with that all the time, you're going to be thinking a lot. It's, uh, you know, you can't just suddenly stop thinking as an act of will and just be able to concentrate on your breath the way you would like to or imagine you should be able to. Then what, what shall I do? Then this, this trying to bring into his mind, you know, this relaxing and opening then, rather than trying to stop the thinking mind. Because he was, he was probably going at it, you know, full force of willpower, trying to stop thinking and do some kind of technique he learned about meditation. And, and then he, you know, and then he'd always fail. And then he said, but the other day I was meditating and and then suddenly everything dropped and I was just in a state of bliss. He says, that's how I want to be. It just happened, you know, I just, that's what I would like to have in my meditation. I said, 